from the Devil's Dexter. A podcast for the esoteric and strange. Well, we got it working. Yeah, right? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. What do you think? It's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Dirtlings. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of The Devil's Dirt Star. I'm your host, Big Spoon. And I'm Ellsworth. Ellsworth, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the very controversial medical figure, the quote-unquote father of modern gynecology, Dr. James Marion Sims. Ugh. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've been doing quite a bit of research on this and discovering more and more things up until about five minutes ago. So <laughs> hop on the ride for Dr. James Marion Sims, and we will also be covering what Big Spoon dubbed the mothers of modern gynecology, the woman that Sims practiced on, experimented on. Also in their own right, became practitioners themselves. Yes, because they worked along his side because other doctors refused to work with him. Yeah, and I wish I could take credit for Mothers of Gynecology, but I've seen it in very few articles, and it just really rang true. There is a statue of this man that has been moved around. Yes. Not it's destroyed, in, It's moved in Brooklyn around. currently, I want to say, possibly. I think you're correct. Yeah, because he opened several hospitals of the first women's hospitals in the United States. And um, one of them was in New York. I don't know if it was in Brooklyn or not, but I just know it was in the city. I'm going to give you guys a little brief uh, coverage of his childhood and his early years, which are just rather interesting. I got most of this from his autobiography. I have some personal opinions about maybe what his attractions were, because there are times when he mentions finding women's sexual organs to be disgusting um uh, and he also speaks in a certain way so you don't mean attractions as in like what brought him to medicine no but like he speaks of men and i know this was a different time but he speaks of men in a way that i find favorable we'll get to that but so james marion sims was born on january 25th 1813 in hanging rock south carolina which is 10 miles south of lancaster county if you're familiar with the area his family and friends generally called him Marion, not James, and he was the oldest of eight children born to Mahala Mackey and John Sims. So the autobiography is super interesting. One of the things that I found very interesting is that he censors, or whoever, maybe it wasn't him. The book censors the word damned, but doesn't have a problem censoring other offensive words that might be used for minorities in this time, which it was interesting and it is used quite a lot in this in this book and at first I actually looked up to see if perhaps at this time it wasn't derogatory but it was um so they chose to leave that in there he died before the autobiography was published but he yeah he used that word quite a lot so the word the word you know the word it starts with an n that's that that word so James father John Sims was a farmer and a merchant and he was a veteran of the Revolutionary War. He does cover some of his war stories in the autobiography but we're going to skim over that because it's not super relevant. He very desperately wanted Sims to um, obtain an, abu- an education an education <laughs> because he himself didn't really have one and so when he was six his father sent him to a boarding school. It was not very far from their home. It was several miles, although, you know, pre-cars, several miles is a bit of a distance. Yeah. And he describes his 
viciously cruel and what honestly sounds like a, a sadist, his teacher. You know, quoting from the autobiography, this teacher had one remarkable peculiarity in regard to the admission of small boys to his school. It made no odds whether a boy was good or bad. He invariably got a flogging on the first day. The teacher always sought some pretext to make a flogging necessary, and when he began, he seldom stopped until a youngster vomited or wet his breeches. And then he describes a specific instance where this, he describes this little boy as being like very cute and like well-dressed and hmm. um, a very good boy, but he ran across the room at one point, and that's what the teacher used as the reason to beat him, and he beat him till he peed himself. Um, oh my God. He hated this school. He had, He actually lived with the teacher because that's how... Like it worked with boarding schools a lot back then. And right. He was at the school for six months. He wanted to tell his parents, but didn't have opportunities to. It was like a hostage situation. Like the teacher was always around. But finally, he broke down, explained to his mom what happened, and they immediately took him out. So then he went to a different school. He describes trying to flirt with a nine year old girl by throwing water on her, just like typical childhood stuff. Um, and then his family moved to Lancaster, um, in 1825 and he started his education at the Franklin Academy, which he is where he was until he graduated and went to college in 1830. At this time, he had no inkling of wanting to be a doctor. It's not, he wasn't someone who was, you know, from early on wanted to be a doctor. It just kind of, the pieces fell that way. And he actually tried to quit school and go back and be a merchant's clerk with his father. He, he didn't. (laughs) He, he describes himself as being a, a, an average student. He wasn't good or bad. He was just... take. Yeah. Man. And he also describes himself as being an easy drunk once he gets to college. Um, oh, I didn't know about his college years. Yeah. He said he hated the taste of alcohol. He didn't drink very often because he thought it was disgusting. He didn't enjoy being drunk and he was ashamed because he got drunk so easily. And he <laughs> describes having one glass of wine at some like thing a teacher invited them over. And he had one glass of wine and his friends had to carry him back. Which was easy because he was a very small man. In college, he was 108 pounds, which is just so to give you a picture of, of this man. He was a very small, a small man. And he actually describes at one point, we'll get to later, but one of the operations that he was doing when he was trying to return a uterus to where it belonged, he had a hard time doing it because his fingers were too short. Oh! <gasps> oh what a problem to have yeah short fingers before tools some of which he invented were a thing yeah (laughs) he describes himself as a student as being quote-unquote not remarkable for anything bad or very good which is not the way you would want your doctor to describe himself no like (laughs) i'm unremarkable at what i do (laughs) i wasn't a great student so anyways Lay down. How can I help you? Operate on you without anesthesia. (laughs) So we're going to give you a quote as to why he chose medicine. And I'm not going to read the whole quote, but ultimately he didn't have any interest in going into the church, which his mother wanted him to do. And he says, I could not be a lawyer. I had neither the talent nor the gifts necessary for the profession. So he didn't think he was intelligent enough to be a lawyer. So he chose to be a doctor (laughs) because the standards for doctors were a lot lower back then. His father was displeased that he was going to be a doctor and when he told him that that was the profession so at this time he went to college he graduated college and at that point in time having a college degree wouldn't really do anything for you unless you continue on to what he calls a so-called learned profession quote-unquote oh so he had to continue on to basically choose doctor lawyer or clergy those are like your your options so when he told his father this is what i'm going to do his father said 
It is a profession for which I have the utmost contempt. There is no science in it. There is no honor to be achieved in it, no reputation to be made. And to think that my son should be going around from house to house through this country with a box of pills in one hand and a squirt in the other to ameliorate human suffering is a thought I suppose I should never have to contemplate. Which is really interesting. I think, yeah, (laughs) I, I know at the time, probably there is some truth to there being no science in it. I mean, they were still bleeding people at this time. There was no anesthesia. People were just as likely to die as to survive any kind of surgical procedures. So I can understand probably the contempt that people would have for doctors. And he also, the first like three doctors he describes studying under were just like wicked drunks. So I think I can see why maybe there was this stereotype of doctors not being great. And it also kind of makes you wonder if part of his, I don't know what the right word to use is, his insistence on the things that he did, I wonder if it's like him trying to like prove dad wrong almost. You know what I mean? Like It might be. Yeah. I was getting, from what I was reading, sometimes I would feel like, oh, he's out for the fame. Not yeah. necessarily the fortune, but... I'm the one that did this. I want to be the great doctor. Yes. I'm the greatest doctor. I made these inventions. Fuck you, dad. Yeah. Like just kind of trying to prove something. And there are multiple instances of people trying to talk him down from things and him being like, no, I'm going to see this through. Yeah. So some of the things when he talks about describing medicine, and I'm going to give you a few descriptions that lead to my thoughts about Sim's potential sexual orientation potentially even his i think maybe if he had been born today maybe even his gender identity might have been different there's just some interesting things the way he speaks about other men throughout the autobiography is very interesting and like i said he does describe finding women's sexual organs as being disgusting and he describes one of his doctors dr samuel henry dixon as a very handsome with a sweet musical voiced man he then says that he didn't think he learned much from Dr. Dixon, as the purity of his diction, the eloquence of his discourse, and the beauty of his teaching captivated the ear so that I was carried away entirely from substance of what he was attempting to instill in my mind. So he was daydreaming about this professor while he was teaching him, <laughs> is what I'm getting from that. <laughs> oh, wow. How poetic of And him. he talks about men in this manner many times throughout the book. So it's not just one no. particular person. No, and he does talk about women in this way as well. So maybe he liked both. But then he talks about his friend Dick Baker, who convinces Sims to dress up as a woman and wear a mask and go to a masquerade ball with him. <gasps> no. And they got him a dress. They tied earrings to his ears. They had him on a mask. The weather ended up making the ball not happen. Sims says he was relieved, so he was pretending to be this man's daughter. That was the thing. But was he? Yeah, that's so he. (laughs) So the ball ended up being canceled. He said he was relieved, but then he said his friend convinced him instead to go to the theater. So they went to the theater and saw a play together, and then they had another friend come up and didn't recognize him and sat and chatted with his friend for a while, completely ignoring him, thinking he was like a date. Was he still wearing the mask? Yes, he was just dressed. No, he was just dressed as a woman, (laughs) and he pulled it off very well, apparently. That's so interesting because, like, the portraitures... He does not look feminine. No. Granted, he was older, so maybe when he was younger, he was very... He was slight of frame. He was, again, 108 pounds. He was a small man. That would definitely sell it, I Um, think. And he said he had a turban on to hide his short hair. Um, Wow. But, yeah, very, very interesting. Oh, I'd love to see a depiction of that. I wish there was a picture. (laughs) He said he describes being terrified the whole time of being found out because at that time they would have been arrested for pretending to be a woman. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So without a further incident, he graduated from Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia in March of 1835. He first moved to South Carolina after graduating, so back home, and very quickly felt like quitting being a doctor. His first two patients were babies around 18 months old. They both died. He describes the first baby when it died and it stopped breathing. He thought it was syncope, so he thought it had just fainted. And in trying to wake it up, um, he describes holding the baby upside down and shaking it. I don't know if perhaps I'm misunderstanding what he did because I'm pretty sure rule number one of a baby is you don't shake it. Um, anyways, the I'm baby was dead. Like, yeah, like <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> I, um, not to make light of that. No, no, it's 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 horrific, uh, and and he and he was how? very upset by it because he was like basically saying how he didn't feel like he was a doctor at all. He was like, I might as well quit. I've basically killed two patients. Like I could not cure them, and it sounds like a desperate thing. Like doing anything, yeah, to try and even, figure out what was wrong. Yeah, even with the almost child. the worst thing you could do, potentially knowing that you're gonna hurt the child. Yeah. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. So he That's... he moves um, after <laughs> murders two children. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but he leaves and he well, goes to Cabahatchee, Alabama. Don't come at me. Alabama. I'm sure I pronounced it incorrectly. So he marries his wife. Courtser marries her. They moved to Alabama. And that's where he started really working on enslaved people. He worked on Mr. Abercrombie's plantation. I don't know if it's the Abercrombie. If you know, let us know. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. So I'm not making any statements. So he moved to Montgomery, Alabama from Cabahatchee in 1825. He calls this the turning point of his career. He cures a hair lip, a woman mm-hmm. who's super disfigured, cures her to a point. I mean, she was, the way he describes her, it sounds like a hair lip on like, I guess we don't really see it too often anymore. Like there are surgeries that are done at birth, but he describes her as having no front teeth, the split basically going oh, no. all the way down the back of her throat, like a really bad Bad hair Bad lip. hair lip. He said she was she wore a veil at all times because she was so disfigured. Aww. And he was able to do a mold for her mouth. She could eat, fixed her lip. She had a, like a basically, he called it like close to normal mouth. And then the dentists at the time asked him to write, like either present on it or write an article on it or something. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not a dentist. And then he did. And anyways. Well, if anything, he is a surgeon. He says many times that surgery is what he was best at. That yeah. was, that was his. And then that's really what the, topic of this is going to be is is his surgeries and interactions with women the turning point really in his career is when he deals with the vesico vaginal fistulas so um it's a hole between the bladder and the vaginal canal and basically if you have this um problem and it it typically happens when you're giving birth and if there's pressure on this area for an extended period of time like the baby is breached the head stuck there or something like that the tissue dies and then it just sloths off heads up this is going to be a grody episode if you can't handle gross talk there's going to be a lot of it yeah and it'll be heavily edited and still grody yes um yes pretty vile stuff very upsetting stomach turning stuff and when you think about people who he he worked on almost exclusively enslaved women. It does sound like they were eager for assistance because the disease was extremely life-ruining. One of the women, I think it was Anarka, who was 13 at the time, keep this in mind, 13-year-old had this issue after having a difficult birth, which would make sense when you're 13 years old. He operated on her actually 30 to 40 times. And she had, if I'm thinking of the correct patient, I believe it was her, it, one yeah, of the worst. It was her. She had holes on both sides so basically she was constantly passing 
urine urine fecal matter and gas all the time and so she smelled understandably it's a life-ruining thing to have so he says that you know they desperately wanted to receive aid with this it's sticky because they were enslaved so it does sound you know with the research we have done it does sound like the surgeries were consensual that these women desperately wanted assistance and in fact because other doctors thought the work was disgusting and didn't want anything to do with it they actually helped him with the surgeries other women did the other enslaved women so it sounds like it was consensual from what we have discovered but it's a tough not to crack or to really look at because they were enslaved yeah informed consent is definitely an issue here because as someone who is enslaved you technically can't give consent to anything it's actually your owner that does yeah and of course slave owners were giving consent under certain parameters to have this done because when you have slaves that are in that condition they're being shunned by everybody because they're dealing with this insanely painful and kind of vile medical condition they can't work yeah being restricted to just i mean you're just sitting there constantly leaking some type of body fluid yeah and no matter what position you're in no matter doesn't matter just constant leaking and yeah you can't stop it yeah it's shameful not that they should have any shame over no. it but you know it is a humiliating thing to have to experience And at the time, it was incurable. And he actually describes the first enslaved people that he dealt with. He looked at them and was like, it's incurable. And then refused to see other patients with that disease because he's like, there's no point in you bringing them to me. It's not curable. And it wasn't until he saw another woman who fall off her horse and her uterus came out, basically. And in the process of putting it back in, he realized that there was a way where you, a position, the the Sims position, which is not very popular, but there's a way that you can look at the vaginal canal and the woman's sexual organs and you can see what's going on. And he is the person who invented the speculum. So he realized there's a way to do this. At the time, I think he uses a spoon. Um, Yeah, it was. So he started this hospital where he started working with these enslaved women and their, their names of the ones that we obtained were Anarka, who was 13, Betsy, Lucy, Anne, who was 16, Lavina, who was 13, Delia, and Julia. I read a couple of sources that said he had 12 patients in total Yeah, that he experimented on. Yeah, and the first procedure was not successful. There was a lot of trial and error, and he describes, actually, he says that when he first started, it was before anesthesia was an option. So these women were bearing this with no painkillers, completely conscious, and he describes them as being very heroic and brave for being able to withstand unimaginable torture, essentially. I truly cannot imagine. And sometimes he had to have the other woman hold him down while he was doing it because, you know, even if you want the operation to be done, even if you want to be cured, I can't can't imagine imagine. holding still for something, which I will later describe to you all. And yeah, just really, really (laughs) horrific. And again, keep going back to this. From our research, it sounds like it was consensual but you really can't ever know because we're not capable of giving true consent again slave owners giving the consent for them and they would want to because now you have a slave that you paid a lot of money for and they now cannot work cannot give birth to children that will then also work for you so of course you're gonna want to 
you know, again, yeah. throwing spaghetti at a wall. See if you can fix it. Yeah. Because it took him so long. And he actually, he purchased some of the woman because the owners, they were not useful to the owners, basically. And he purchased them so he could continue to work and try yes. and, and solve this fistula. And at one point, we said, you know, the other doctors refused to work with him on this. They thought it was disgusting. And in general, as time went on, people didn't want him doing this. He actually had his brother-in-law, uh, Dr. Jones, come and tell him to give up. And he was like, you're, you're wasting your time and your money and for no real good reason because it's just to try and cure half a dozen bleep word and that he should give up for his own sake and his family's sake. He's like, you're wasting money. Like, you have to house these people. You have to pay taxes on them because they're property. And it's expensive and give up. And he refused and said that, you know, his patients are happy to work with him, that they did work with him again because they were basically his nurses because he didn't have any other doctors working with him and that he'd accomplished too much to stop. And he said, it matters not what it costs. If it costs me my life, if I fail at this, someone else will pick up the mantle. And just imagine, you know, these women all very young, the oldest ones whose ages I know of are 18. Yeah. So these women... These teenagers, these children basically, are enduring really, truly unimaginable pain. Like no no one today probably can really understand this level of suffering because even if you've had something like this happen, most likely you had painkillers and anesthesia and like there's no no way to really fully understand the level of fucking trauma and suffering that these women for, for two to four years. And again- it sounds like they were fighting also to have this cure because they wanted to have their lives restored to them. And that says so much about how enduring and strong these women must have been. Because to be honest, I have to imagine for me, I don't think I could endure even several months of it. I think I'd be like, you know what? Quality of life is gone. Just kill me. And especially considering that these women didn't even get control over their own lives. They were not their own people. So they were instrumental in this. Well, you know, ultimately he was successful and which is huge because this was a life altering thing and he was able to cure people eventually. And he couldn't have done it without these women. A, they needed to help him with the surgeries. So if they had been reluctant or unwilling or whatever, if they had not helped him with those surgeries, he would not have been able to be successful with it. And they had to experience the surgeries. They had to be test puppets for him. And that's test puppet. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. We are so blessed to a, not have to be subjected to that kind of suffering. It's hard. We've had this conversation several times. It's really hard to, you know, you're grateful for, the advancements that we have in medicine today. And then it's really hard to look back and realize that the advancements we have come off the suffering of a lot of people who could not consent. I mean, a lot of the knowledge we have that came out of the Holocaust and a lot of the knowledge we have that came out of women who were experimented on as enslaved people who couldn't truly give consent. I mean, you really want to get into it. Anarka was 13. She couldn't give consent for two reasons. She was also a child. And who had given birth. Yes. The most painful, sad thing here is we don't know a lot about these women because there's little to no record of them because at the time they were chattel and they didn't have the opportunity to tell their stories. And that's yeah. heartbreaking. No, it's um, it's kind of a lot. Yeah. And we are fully aware that what we're talking about is 
highly controversial and there are differing opinions and the sources are insane. You will read a lot of things that paint Sims as a complete monster, but at the same time, there will be other things that if you dive deeply enough, you'll come to an understanding that either way, he did seek out to treat as many women as possible and also those who... I mean, it wasn't just the upper echelons of society. He certainly did that later in the beginning, though it was enslaved women and then impoverished women as well. It's a really tough conversation to have because part of me is like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. (laughs) You're a goddamn idiot. You hurt so many people. But at the same time, he did have people that he eventually cured. Yeah, and it sounds, again, it's so tough because the sources are limited. Some of the sources are coming directly from him, so you know there's going to be some bias there no matter what. And it's really hard because, again, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with people, we don't get to hear both sides of the story, and we're never going to be able to hear both sides of the story. And that makes it really tough, you know, Well, that's the other thing. I want to hear from Anarka, Betsy, Lucy, all of them. I want to know their perspective. Mm -hmm. None of that, as far as I'm concerned, has ever been written no or even asked of them some of them you don't even know how their lives ended because they just kind of fade into history and it's really unfortunate because a i'm curious to know what they learned like did any of them become midwives because they were more familiar with women's sexual organs like or did they go back yeah and what happened after was it the 1860s when 1863 yep so most likely most of these women were alive at the time where they finally had control over their own lives to an extent because emancipation proclamation didn't really do a whole lot but yeah it's, i'm just so curious it's definitely and possible it, I hate that we don't know yeah i don't know if you guys know if anyone out there does know please tell us all right yeah so should we go into like describing this technique um yeah and just keep in mind that this surgery was done with no anesthesia afterwards they were given opioids but they were aftercare um, did include insane amounts of drugs i have to imagine there God. was an addiction <laughs> afterwards with the amount that they were given and for years sometimes yeah i did read that a lot of people were convinced that he specifically did this to get them addicted to drugs but i just don't know that that's actually true just a theory yeah, yeah. it is a theory and i'll kind of get into it Okay, so this is what Sims wrote. This is his book on the treatment of vesicovaginal fistulas. And this is a quote from him. The accident per se, the fistula, is never fatal, but it may well be imagined that a lady of keen sensibilities so afflicted and excluded from all social enjoyment would prefer death. Sims recalled a patient under his care where the lady absolutely pined away and died, resigning herself to the belief that she was hopelessly incurable. After what we have so described, I guess you could understand why someone would, you know, feel that way. I am going to talk about some things that Sims complained about or things that he was very honest about. If there's one thing I can say about Sims is he was very honest about how he was making his patients feel. Yes. Um, He didn't necessarily sugarcoat it, which again, you will see in some sources that they believe he was trying to. From articles written at the time, it didn't seem that way. 
I don't know. It's a little confusing on my brain. <laughs> it's a, it is it is my opinion that he probably didn't sugarcoat things based on what I have read. But yeah. it's, it's hard to tell because, again, this was a long time ago. And history is written by the people who were able to write history, I guess, is the, you know, yeah. you know there's, there's, exactly. there's bias. And, and it's impossible to eradicate that. So ever, take everything with a grain of salt. And just, I mean, the only thing that we know for certain is that uh, there was a lot of suffering involved yeah. in the ultimate surgical cure that that was discovered so sims complained about determining what to cut off of a large fistula due to his patient bearing down sobbing straining and even voluntary resistance in regards to his patient's physical reaction to the absolute torture he was imparting on them he would resolve to use a sponge pushing it through the opening of the fistula which would force the protruding bladder because the bladder is kind of poking through the fistula, which is essentially an open wound, sore, reed hole in the vaginal canal. And he would force the bladder back into place so that he could more easily define the hole. And Sims goes on to explain that the sponge placement along with this removal is always attended with very great pain. He was very aware of how much pain his patient was going through. And consenting or not, I cannot imagine sitting still for that. I can barely sit still for a pap smear, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should be put out for that. I cannot imagine. Yeah, I... It, it's uh, wince-worthy at the very least. It's, again, a testament to how, you know, again... Like, who I knows have if consenting, pain but right now. <laughs> yeah, it makes you sick to your stomach. And then to think about a 13-year-old girl... Going through that. Oh, like, it's... It is truly heartbreaking yeah and the one that i'm actually talking about right now that sims is describing is lucy who was 18 at the time she was the one that they actually used the cotton version of a um catheter yeah and that and again did not work out well no and i will go in to explain why so the procedure, the patient is placed on a table on their knees, shoulders, and head to press downward. So think downward dog, but your knees are on the table, basically. Sims insisted that all clothing must be loosened, but arguably this is only for his white patients, according to some articles, whereas his black patients were forcefully and immodestly stripped of their clothing entirely. Again, this is disputed. We don't know. An assistant introduced the speculum that Sims designed into the vaginal canal and would give him better access to the fistula and reflect light from a nearby window or mirror. There are drawings of a almost like a porthole <laughs> looking thing on a stand. It's very interesting. Huh. We'll include pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, but flashlights a weren't a thing, obviously. Like, no. Yeah. So he had to do this by the light of day. Fuck, man. Yeah. That was the other problem. So there is no modesty in medicine really it can't be no you it takes a lot of trust to allow a provider to examine you properly this i cannot fucking imagine i would just be like unalive me especially (laughs) in a situation (laughs) where um whether it was consensual or not because i I do believe that these women probably desperately wanted to be cured it's a horrible thing to experience but either way um i can't imagine they felt that one way or another they could say no yeah. And that's a whole, you know, with the, you know, you, you want to trust the doctor, but in this situation, it's like doctors were kind of frowned upon already, not seen as like, they're kind of seen almost as charlatans and then having something extremely painful and yeah. feeling like you can't say no because of the roles that they had. That's 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's a fucking lot. So this would give him better access to the fistula and reflect light from a nearby window or mirror because, you know, electricity, although invented before Sims was practicing these experiments, it wasn't readily available indoors until the late 1800s. So Sims would then use a taculum, which is basically a hook at the end of a long handle like you would see in modern dentistry, and he would grab the edge of the fistula, pulling it upward, and then he would take a knife and cut away all around the opening of the wound to reveal smooth and healthy tissue underneath. So he's getting all that skin that's infected and dying and removing it. Again, inner wall of your JJ. Yeah. Not to make light of this. No painkillers. Bare ass to the window. Like my stomach hurts just yeah, thinking about it. I definitely felt really ill reading a lot of this. Like I'm clearly not meant to be a surgeon or someone going i can't imagine going no and then having to do this on someone who is conscious and i just even if you desperately wanted to be cured you're gonna be fighting it somewhat right because yeah i just the unimaginable agony i just can't imagine the anxiety of like you know some some of these women anarka he experimented on 30 to 40 times just the anxiety of knowing that it's going to happen again. Like, okay, that didn't work. We're going to try this now. Is it going to work this time? Bend over. I just, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I just don't... surviving this alone, I cannot imagine the strength that it would require to survive that. I don't think I would have the fortitude, perseverance, self-preservation to be either one of these people, either the physician or the patient in this scenario. I don't think I could have. It is horrific. Yeah. He would cut away to reveal the healthy tissue, and then he would close the fistula with something he dubbed a clamp suture. A single silver suture was passed into the vaginal wall through the fistula opening and through to the other side and then back out the vaginal wall. It almost looked like shoelaces, but just straight across. No crisscross X action. And he would make four punctures per suture. Patient would need somewhere between one and four uh, sutures, depending on the size of the fistula, a larger fistula would require four Makes and, sense. you know, so on and so forth. Now that the silver wires are hanging outside of the incisions, like shoelaces, a pliable silver crossbar is installed to the innermost wires, then pulled flush to the vaginal wall. Ugh. So, like, picture the sides of the shoelaces, but they're silver bars with holes in them. Yeah. And you're just lacing the sutures through. Yep. I think it's worth noting too. He was one of the first doctors to use silver sutures, right? Yes, at the he time, was. silk was really common, and like infections were common. He hired a jeweler to make silver sutures. Very for him. interesting. I have yeah. to imagine that was not cheap either. No. I mean, I mean, not I can't that imagine necessary for sure because silver is antimicrobial, right? So, yes, it um, is, which we have covered in a previous episode. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's antimicrobial. And this was when he started to realize his success is by using silver sutures and clamps. Right. So now that the silver wires are hanging outside of these incisions, the crossbar is installed and it's pulled flush to the vaginal wall, like right up against it. And the same is done on the bottom. So picture your cervix is right here and you have your fistula and you have the top bar and a bar below it. And basically that was also done to the bottom bar. And then literal birdshot, like from a shotgun, it was perforated with holes. It was laced onto the sutures, clamped down, 
And that's what was holding it in place. Like, I don't know if you've ever made like jewelry or something, but you can get the little metal beads and you just clamp them down. That's what was keeping it all tucked tightly into place. Birdshot, everyone. Agony. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable thinking about all this metal being in my vaginal canal. Yeah. Like, even if it is small, doesn't matter. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once the clamps are pulled into place and taut against the wall and as close to the opening of the fistula as possible, the birdshot is clamped around the wires to hold everything in place. He would then clip the long, loose ends and curl them so that they would not puncture any surrounding tissue because silver's pretty sharp when you cut it. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so Sims admits that he constantly fucked up this procedure. Hence why it took him four years to perfect it. He would sometimes remove the clamps too early in the healing process, which would cause the somewhat healed fistula to break open. Yeah. Just like anything. If you have, if you've ever had an incision and you accidentally like pulled your skin tight or banged it against something and the sutures rip open. Oh my God. Yeah. So after much experimentation, Sims insisted that the sutures must stay in place six to 10 days or even longer. And if they're removed too soon, the cicatrix, which is like the newly scarred over incision, it could basically burst open. This could be due to the uterus or the bladder putting too much pressure on the wound, like a full bladder and urinating too quickly, something like that. Or a woman bearing down for some reason. And now the uterus is pushing down and it could result in additional surgeries, obviously. Sims is quoted as saying, accidents of this sort have happened repeatedly in my hands from a too early removal of the suture apparatus. By the time the cicatrix was fully healed, Sims would find strong new tissue would grow over the ends of the clamps. In order to remove the clamps, he had to snip away the new flesh. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Yeah, it, it's not pretty. He did say at one point that the surgeries were so painful that none but a woman could bear them. Yes, I agree. Uh, yes. I I think <laughs> it depends. Tough. I don't think I could. No, I'm just fucking. No, man, I'm tapping out just <laughs> listening to it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, women are known as being pretty tough. I mean, we do have to endure childbirth and the like, but everybody's pain tolerance is different. It's so vast. How yeah. can you really say what one woman's tolerance? I bet you, you have a higher pain tolerance than I do. Mm. What was your nickname? In high school? <laughs> Disaster girl. Disaster girl. <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happened to me is I, like, crushed the tip of my pinky finger in a door and I didn't that's feel it. pretty unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel it for, like, the first four hours, but I think I was in shock. I was in oh. shock over this. <laughs> so, danger oh. girl. <laughs> you probably uh, have one up on me anyway. Ugh. But these, these women, too, I imagine... Because pain tolerance, an aspect of it certainly is just what you're used to. And mm-hmm. even at as teenagers, as as young teenagers, they were probably had already been subjected to horrors that which no modern person can really understand. Oh, yeah. Or at least no modern person in our society. Um, By being a slave, but also having children at a very young age. Probably non-consensual sex. I mean, it was very common for enslaved women to be raped. This was just... But one of the horrors that they probably experienced in their lives, and I'm sure that it, you know, things were not great for people, enslaved people 
right after the Civil War either because, A, they didn't know anything else, and that's terrifying oh, because they like yeah. all of a sudden you don't know how to obtain things that were, quote-unquote, given to you as, you know, as a belonging. I cannot imagine the kind of lives that they lived in. I'm just going to continue to complain throughout this podcast that I, we'll that I want to... I, I would <laughs> love to read an autobiography from one of these women and, and to know... I'm sure that this is just but one speck in the stars of the sky of the life that they lived and the kind of horrible experiences they had and the fascinating the things they survived the knowledge they had again i you know they they assisted him with the surgeries so there's gotta be a few accounts somewhere written in the books. letters but again and it might not maybe be they weren't his even patients, but oh well that too i guess yeah yeah god damn well moving along yep. to <laughs> catheter hell because Ugh. if you have this done you also need a catheter and i'll mm-hmm. explain why so basically an elastic or malleable catheter of some kind was necessary for the success of the operation. Urine in the bladder needed to be continuously drawn out of the patient so it would not pass through the newly enclosed fistula. And this would cause infection and calculi could build up in and around the wound. And this is the same material that causes kidney stones. Which are, if you've ever had them, the worst fucking thing on the planet. Yeah, it's like little calcium deposits, like as yeah, hard see, as a bone. kidney stone makes me want to die. I cannot imagine. Oh my god, this like mm. the kidney stones that I have seen through my line of work. No, you don't know what I do. Still, it is crazy. It's the been things that described come out of as worse than childbirth, which is one of the most painful things a human being can experience. Yes, and a lot of kidney stones I've seen, it almost. It's not like a smooth little pebble. The ones I've seen look like this porous rock, almost pumicey. Yeah, like think about like they're not smooth, which is why they hurt coming out because they're little scratchy monsters, like like a grain of salt (laughs) just itching its way through your body. Kidney stones are little scratchy monsters. Demons from hell. Little scratchy monsters. Yeah, so... Kidney demons. Yeah, so basically you would have kidney demons forming (laughs) around there. did you ever have rock candy as a kid? You know, like you have the stick and you have... Yeah, so think about that. Oh. Ah. So they have the the, the string catheter and then they have rock candy forming out of bladder stones, kidney stones, and then you got to pull it out of a wound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or your urethra. I'm sorry if I just ruined rock candy for you. Get the blue cotton. Sugar's bad for you anyways. Yes. <laughs> Sugar's bad for you. <laughs> Everything good is bad for you. Oh my God. Okay. So physicians before Sims, they had many failures with complicated catheters. And I have a note here saying, go ahead, ask me about it. Because one of the most horrifying things I have ever read is that what they would do in other surgeries in which physicians were trying to repair a fistula or some other kind of issue where the bladder was involved and they needed a catheter. It was actually a tube that they screwed into the outside of your body. Yeah. So just picture a hole down there above your bladder and they would tether it to the outside of your body. And then you would have to lay face down on a table. I've read that there was a leather 
pillow appropriately cut out so that the catheter would just like run beneath the table. I mean, to an extent, it's still a thing we do today for like if there are bowel issues or like colonoscopy, colonoscopy, yeah. Oh, uh, colostomy. Colostomy, Colostomy yeah. Ostomies freak me out. I know that they're very necessary. and, And if you have one, you're a stronger person than I but it is scary it is it is like it is it is essential and it can be a life-saving thing for some people but the the idea of what it is is scary because it's a hole yeah it's an extra hole directly to inside one of your organs which i know obviously we have other orifices that are the same thing yeah but at the same (laughs) time it's it is different like it's like you know that's not supposed to be there yeah you know but it is helping you yeah yep also again no anesthesia Yes, in order to that, have that's this the happen. thing that, that you need to remember. Eventually, he does begin working with anesthesia, but there are, as you mentioned, there are reasons when he first started, anesthesia wasn't a thing. Um, he did become an expert in it. Then there are controversies as to whether he did not use it because it was still dangerous and people, you know, it was easy to kill someone if you did not use the exact correct dosage, or it's entirely possible that he didn't use it because... Even in modern medicine, you know, minorities, specifically African-Americans, are less likely to receive appropriate painkillers because, you know, their pain tolerance has been documented to be higher. And so they do not receive the appropriate treatment that they should receive because of medical bias. Mm -hmm. And at this time, I mean, medical bias was a whole different fucking ballgame and much worse. So there's, based on the things that I've read in his autobiography... I don't know if I believe it was not used out of cruelty because he did seem to deeply care for the suffering of his patients. And he mentions multiple times that they're very heroic and strong for having been able to undergo this. However, it does not mean that he wasn't racist because he was. And he certainly makes comments throughout the autobiography that are quite racist. And I think it's entirely possible that he thought, well you know, blacks, they have a higher pain tolerance. They don't need this. They can endure the suffering. And first of all, whether or not someone has a higher pain tolerance doesn't mean that they need to endure suffering. And also you can't apply that and perpetuate it amongst a race just because you think so. Yeah. When really it was a matter of they knew they couldn't say no. Yes. That, to most things that happen and in that's their lives. the that's the, the rub of it is, yeah. you know, even today in modern medicine, there is a standard to say that blacks have higher pain tolerance. And whether or not it is, though, you can't treat individuals based on a right. stereotype. And yeah, so either either way. Pain these, is a spectrum. These women experience immense pain. And with no anesthesia, it's not confirmed entirely as to. I mean, initially, it's because anesthesia wasn't an option. Later on, I it don't was. know if it was out of racism or if it was out of safety eventually he did begin operating on fistulas on wealthier women and they did receive sedation so oh, yeah. i don't think they would have done it otherwise Mm-mm. especially no, i wouldn't knowing. i'd yeah. be like i'll no, just die you. thank you yeah <laughs> i let just me rot in a corner thanks <sighs> yeah yeah fucking crazy man yeah a lot of icky <sighs> shitty yeah. stuff so sims taking other physicians failures into account He invented his own torture device, I would like to call it. Um, It is a double-ended cotton swab. One side, the part that hangs outside of your body, it's bigger than the other. And then the part that goes inside your your urethra is almost like this little tube. 
and it's actually wrapped in it's called gold beater which is like animal intestine i believe and it's very thinly sliced and it was used to make small repairs but basically it was wrapped in this little elastic so tube. like the same stuff they used to use for violin strings back in the day right is that what was used like animal intestines or yeah, yeah they de- uh, they definitely used to use it for musical instruments i wonder that's i don't cool. know if it's the same thing or not i've never heard the term gold beater yeah um oh that's so i'm envisioning <laughs> a giant q-tip um kind of but not really okay but, so that's... the smaller end would be up inside your bladder oh. and it would just be wicking the urine away from the fistula so that it wouldn't leak cause the calculi the the yep. the demon stones in your kidneys. Oh, um yeah, it's pretty fucked up. But it was made of a sponge and then there was a strong silk thread that ran down the middle to kind of keep it from breaking apart inside yeah. your body and performing exactly as intended at first the sponge would siphon urine out of the bladder and away from the fistula. And here's the fucking problem. Sims wrote, but unfortunately for my patients, two of whom were experimented on with this, it became encrusted and perfectly saturated with calculus deposits, rendering its removal painful, difficult, and even dangerous. (laughs) This expedient promising so much in theory and performing ill in practice was necessarily abandoned. So he did this to Lucy, again, the 18-year-old. Can't imagine. Yeah, um, but this is what happened to her. And she did end up getting a blood infection from this. She had blood poisoning. It took her months to recover. And Sims admitted that he feared that she was going to die. In his autobiography, when he's speaking of this specific surgery, I don't have it open in front of me, but the quote was essentially along the lines of, I was very fucking stupid for thinking that this would work. And in hindsight, I should have known better. He's very self-depreciating in his autobiography as far as his mistakes. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a lay person. And as soon as I started reading about this contraption that he was making, I was like, dude, have you seen what happens to toilets that don't get cleaned? All the, yeah, like again, <laughs> all the calcium. I know and- it was a different, a different, a different world and like they had different experiences, but I, I so it's hard. I just feel like it should have been obvious. I, I feel like it should have been obvious because like, especially because the intention was to keep those stones from forming around the fistula. You'd think that the thought process would then carry to, and so it will happen here too. <laughs> I just, it could happen to this thing. It could also happen inside of the body. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, he didn't... it's hard to tell if his autobiography makes it seem like he desperately wanted to help people and that's what mattered. But it's always a part of me that's kind of like, was there a bit of let's fuck around and find out? I don't know. He does heavily use the word experiment. Yes. And he knew that because yes. he didn't know how he was going to fix it. He just knew he needed to do something. On one end, the side that people, a lot of people still cling to is the heroism of it. Like yeah. the, he was trying to help people. Again, though, like speaking about his father, I think that there was probably daddy issues involved in wanting <laughs> to do this. Um, J.M. Sims and his daddy, <laughs> his daddy issues. issues. Yeah. Um <sighs> At, at the expense of, a, yeah, you know, ultimately he cured people, but at the expense of immense suffering. And he knew it. Yeah. So continuing on, obviously Sims had to make a new device. It looked like a straw, but at the top of it, it was closed. And instead of having a hole, it had a slit in the side. Okay. Stick with me. So 
This end resides in the bladder and once placed a string running from where the hole in the straw would be and it's closed off. It runs from that to the outside of the straw and then it would hang outside of the body. Okay. Which he would then yank on it. I'm just kidding. I don't think he yanked on it, but... <laughs> I'm just thinking like the the um, IUD with the little strings that hang down. Yes. Yeah. It was pulled enough so that the sides of the straw... So it looks like this, but now it flares out. Oh, very IUD-like, actually. Very IUD-like. Yeah. But the whole point is that urine would flow yeah. through the straw, right? Okay. Okay. You have me. <sighs> yeah. And it would allow urine to pass through the flared opening. And again, there was a problem. Sometimes the damn thing wouldn't fucking open. Oh, can you imagine getting the horrific experience of just having that fucking thing placed and then yes. being like, and now, ah, damn, no urine can get through at all. Yeah. So it has to be taken out. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't open. It would block the urine from coming out at all. And then also it would put pressure because of the placement on the fistula. So it was rubbing against it. <sighs> rubbing against it. Your fistula. So it needed to be taken out and cleaned as well is the other problem. You could only leave it in there for so long and then it would have to be cleaned so that it's not causing an infection. Yeah. Yeah, and and this was like three times a day and then put back in. It's causing a ton of irritation Wait, on the patient. Wait, hang on. It had to be taken out and cleaned multiple times a day? Yes, three times a day. Bro, <laughs> at that point, like... <laughs> so, um... I would stop drinking water. I would simply dehydrate myself. yes. I would be a raisin, a husk yes. of a big spoon. Yes. Yeah. Can't poison my blood when there is no blood because <laughs> I have not drank water for the six I weeks it took me to heal. Completely coagulated. Yes. I am a giant scab. Oh, oh that's gross. Oh. Um, and I'll just end on this note about the straw catheter thing that had to be taken in and out three times a day to be cleaned and was rubbing against your fistula. Sims experimented with this particular catheter for 12 months before he gave up. Fuck. Yep. And then he came up with another one. So this time, I know, it keeps getting worse. It's kind of almost over. Sims made another straw-like tube, but this time it was bigger and it was made out of silver metal and in the shape of a fucked up letter S. It was like an S, but then the tail was long. Okay. Yeah. So just like the flared straw situation, he put narrow slits in the side of the silver straw. So Okay, so it's like a hollow, like a, like a legit... Sh- it is hollow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because urine, again, has to pass through it. So he put narrow slits in the top of it, just like the other one that was supposed to flare out, but this is just slits that the urine's going to hopefully pass through. So you don't through. have to take it out and in. Yeah, and the reason why it was in an S shape was to maneuver it past... It wasn't straight like the other ones, so it would maneuver past the pubic bone. Yeah, so it would like rest more comfortably yes. in the natural and form it, of the body. Yes, his patients did tell him that this was much less painful and they could lay on their side or in certain positions where they didn't feel it, I yeah. guess. But again, this thing was bigger width-wise. So I can't imagine that that was very comfortable going through your urethra I've never your had bladder. a catheter placed, Neither but have I, I have to imagine it is a extremely unpleasant i've heard the removal is not cool Mm. yeah Mm -mm -mm. nope so maybe we still haven't perfected it uh nurses let us know there's slits in the top of the metal catheter for the urine to be expelled sims was happy with this outcome 
his words, not mine, when he used this device successfully on a patient who had a particularly large fistula, unfortunately, it was impossible to remove because the mucous membrane surrounding the tube projected into the slits on either side. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Basically, this locked the tube into place. Sims forced his finger through the patient's fistula, which he had not closed yet, I don't believe, because I think he was trying to see if this catheter was going to work before so that he knew, like, okay, we're going to take it out and then we're going to go back in. Mm -hmm. But he forced his finger through the fistula into the bladder and then pushed down on the metal catheter in order to remove it. So, yeah. Makes me think a little bit of, I remember reading about <sighs> just medical experiments at this time and people at this time to withstand this kind of experimentation and pain. Because again, I can't imagine a doctor shoving their finger through a open wound inside my body to dig around at stuff. No. Nope. No. Cannot imagine. Mm -mm. I remember reading about, I think I've told you about this. We might've discussed it before, about a guy who they were trying to remove a kidney stone. Yes. And he was in an operating theater. They tied his hands to his ankles. So he was in the same position as these women, basically, you know, like ass up and tied down like hogtied so he wouldn't move. And the doctor cut him open and was trying to remove the <laughs> kidney stone, couldn't find it, and then shoved both of his fingers inside the incision, was fishing around in this man's body. No, it wasn't. I think it might have been gallstones, actually. Either gallstones. way. Fishing around That's in this man's body, trying to remove these gallstones until the man was like, God damn it, man, just give up. And then he died of infection a few days later. But just the thought that at any point in time, someone, I just... Oh. No. Humans are not as strong as they used to be. At least I'm not as strong as humans used to be. <laughs> because I would simply allow myself to die. I don't yeah. think my will to live is that strong. No. I don't think I could have ever gone through anything like that. No. Without anesthesia. Mm -mm. And I mean, you know what? Me. I probably would have fainted. Problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> or gone in shock like me and my pinky. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours oh. of pain free. <laughs> <laughs> This is mostly the last of the horrific stuff, but back to the drawing board for a catheter. So Sims was like, you know, what if we put holes in the tube instead of slits? So that's exactly what he did. He devised yet another catheter this time. I think it was skinnier and he put holes in it and the holes were kind of sparse. They weren't like little holes all over the place. They were bigger holes kind of patterned around it, around the entire tube. So this one worked great during another case he had, but after five or so days, urine stopped passing through the catheter, so he knew it was time to remove it for a cleaning. And this is a quote from Sims on the matter of the device removal. But here I was foiled. I could pull it down for perhaps an inch when it suddenly stopped. Then by letting it go, it could inevitably slip back into the bladder with a sort of jerk. Oh. It inevitably was fastened there by some means that I could not exactly comprehend. Every reasonable effort to remove it, proving abortive, I at last pulled it out by main force. Oh, man. Yeah. I cannot fucking imagine. No. Because the catheter had been in the patient too long, new tissue had formed around it and through the holes where the urine was meant to pass. This happened because the tube was too fucking big for the urethra, so it became irritated and inflamed. I'm just going to run through this last bit. When Sims pulled it out, inch-long strands of tissue were hanging off of it. Inch-long. 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 That's a lot of, that's a <laughs> lot of tissue. Take yeah. out a ruler. 
oh no coming, coming from your urethra <laughs> uh, when he pulled it out inch-long strands of tissue were hanging off of it and he described the tissue on the inside of the tube as buttons which would lock the catheter in place fucking buttons of tissue uh, of this all he had to say was the injury done to the part and the pain inflicted on the patient may very well be imagined Three years later, Sims claims to have perfected the device by making it thinner with smaller holes in more abundance. I have so. chest pain. This is so he made another me- S catheter. It was skinnier, made of silver to help prevent infection. It was sturdy and had a lot more holes in it that were tiny. Therefore, the skin was less likely to grow into it. So, and that is the end of catheter hell. Fucking. My God. Yeah. And now this is the aftercare where we actually bring up the drug issue. Yeah. Large doses of painkillers such as morphine and opium were given to the patient along with antidiarrheals so that intestinal movement was basically dormant until Sims knew that the operation was a success. He couldn't have anything like that going through the body and fucking up his operation, basically. And here's another quote from Sims. I have often kept them locked up for three or four weeks without any bad consequences, whatever, to the general system. And I do believe he is talking about his patients. So by locked up, I only know because I I came across this quote and was horrified. By locked up, what he meant is constipated. So he kept them locked up to like keep them. Yeah, we're not. Not like (laughs) we're not talking about them. Like chained to a bed or no, something like that. Yeah. Although they were on bed rest until this was yeah, over. Yeah, no, he just kept them from like yes. passing anything <laughs> to like, yeah. I, I made that sound a lot more scary <laughs> than it was. Yeah, I mean, still not pooping for three or four weeks is... Oh, uh, being bound up like that, that's rough. I wouldn't have... Well, that just... actually happens to patients quite a lot. You're often given... After a major procedure or something like that, you are given medications and that can bind you up and then you'll have to be, like a lot of mothers, yeah, will have to be put on laxatives so they're not exerting a ton of, it's not that they're constipated, but you do not want to put a lot of force on your uterus in Especially order to Especially right defecate. after birth, yeah. Yes, because talk about expelling your uterus on a horse, it can happen to you after childbirth. Oh yeah, or your so. bowels. Yes. Just all this, the soft tissues in there are all sorts of fucked up when you push a baby out. Very soft tissues. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so after such time, gentle laxatives are given and Sims instructs the patients to only eat tea and crackers and coffee was optional if it was preferred. It's going to help you unconstipate. <laughs> right? That's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> And yet, to keep the patients mostly constipated, opium was given two large doses, as large as possible, in a 24-hour period. I want to know what as large as possible. Like, that's... These women were must have been high as a kite. I mean, I would want to be, I would hope so. But also, this is just my not understanding medicine, possibly, or me pointing out. I don't understand. So opium was a thing. Dude, give me the opium before the surgery. But then you couldn't help. Ah, that's it. But he did it on sedated woman after. I guess it's after once he knows what he's doing. That's true. Yeah. And I don't maybe know. Maybe there were other things to kind of assist. You know, that's a good point. 
if you know more about medicine and you can explain why was the reason just racism was it just or was there like a medical reason that it would not have made sense to give them opium during surgery it sounds from a lot of articles i've read is that we need patient compliance in order for this to work yeah that makes sense they are sitting properly like it was very specific the position like even to the point of how far apart the knees need to be yeah. and where the feet are resting off the table and all these other things. Yeah. And you would need somebody to be conscious of their position and not move. And I'm sure he had his assistants, other enslaved women with similar conditions, assisting him. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what the fuck that's about. Yeah, I certainly, because if it were me as a patient, I maybe if they're high on opium, they're more likely to not hold still or relax too much yeah yeah that makes sense possibly but i am now i'm wondering what he used in the future if he was using ether and they were out for the surgery i don't know yeah Hmm. so sims claimed the following old fistula cases generally are used to opium and where they are not they soon learn the beneficial effects this is what i think people are taking and saying some of these women were drug addicted already. Or maybe what he's saying is like Anarka, he's done this 30 times to her or yeah. more. He knows that she's used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's given a dose of opium or whatever after the At fact. that point, yeah, she's been on it for years. So her tolerance is going to be a lot higher. Yeah, at least four years or yeah. so, I believe. Yeah, because he started, what, in 1845. And his and last one on Anarcha was 1849 or yes, 49. So 1849. Four, yeah, four years. Yep. And that's when he perfected this surgery. Yeah. Vasicovaginal fistula. So opium. It calms the nerves, inspires hope, relieves the scalding of urine, prevents the craving for food, produces constipation, subdues inflammatory action, and assists the patient doomed to a fortnight's horizontal position. So laying down for two weeks straight to pass the time with pleasant dreams and delightful sensations instead of painful forebodings and intolerable sufferings. Sims goes on to explain suture removal around 10 days after the operation and how he can go fuck himself. Because <laughs> all that sounds terrible. Yep. Something he said at the end of this article that was printed in the American Journal of Sciences, 1852, it stuck with me. The cases that occurred to me early and which were given to me for the sake of experiment will show the difficulties that had to be overcome, the many disappointments that had to be borne, and the ultimate success that crowned my efforts after the perfection of the mechanical contrivances, which, as but for long, laborious and persevering application. So he knew that he fucked up a lot in order to seek and realize perfection with his surgeries. It's kind of a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about him. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, he was experimenting on enslaved women, so consent was not possible to be given. It's just we don't have that answer. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe they super really did want this to happen. Yeah. I'm sure quality of life was taken into consideration. Abs- I'm, I'm sh- I have to imagine that they wanted a cure. Yeah. And from... Comments that happened at the time, it sounded like they were very enthusiastic participants. However, again, who's to know? And we don't have that information from them. We have that information from the people who probably didn't care so much whether it was actually enthusiastic participation or not. So 
Yeah, it's interesting because after he resolved, you know, ultimately what the solution was, and he tried to do this on white women, none of them could endure the pain. And so he wasn't able to, like, really fully start operating on other women until anesthesia was more readily available because it was excruciating and only enslaved women could or had to endure the procedure. Multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah. I couldn't. So... I found this teaching resource, and it's about Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy. And it's probably the most information that I found about them. And there is very little about their lives because they were enslaved black women. During that time, no one cared to write about their lives. Nope. To feel so insignificant. That's why it's important to talk about their names. Because we may not know all of their history aside from what was mentioned in the shadow of Sims' work, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. Their existence is known because of people caring about Sims. Yeah. But now we can recognize that their contribution was also equally, if not more so, important because without them, he could not have created this procedure. They were the key. They were not only participants in this, you know, they endured immense pain. They helped him with the surgeries because other white doctors would not, it truly was not possible without them because it's not like he was some super knowledgeable person who came in and healed these women. They experimented. It was an experiment. There was very much not a thing that could have been possible without them. Yeah. Even more so because he could not have done this with white women because they could not endure it and they could say no. Yeah, that was the other thing. Yeah. (laughs) They could say no. Yeah. Uh, so Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy were three enslaved women who lived and worked in different plantations near Montgomery, Alabama in the 1840s. All three women developed a painful medical condition after childbirth that caused them to lose control of their bladders and bowels. Enslaved women with this condition were kept apart from other workers. There was no cure at the time. Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy were told they would have to live with the pain and shame of their injuries for the rest of their lives. The men who enslaved Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy were frustrated by their condition. They wanted to find a cure, not because they cared deeply about the enslaved women, but because the women could no longer do the hard labor that would earn money for the enslavers. In 1844, all three enslavers sought the advice of Dr. J. Marion Sims. Like many doctors in the 1800s, J. Marion Sims was very interested in medical advancement and experimentation. He practiced all kinds of medicine from dentistry to pediatrics to general surgery. Yeah, there weren't really specialists at no. this time. It was kind of... You're a general Yeah, I mean, he became a specialist, so to speak, in women's in gynecology. Yeah, it's, And later, it wasn't, cancer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he really did focus a lot on women's needs. But yeah, specialist was not a thing. It was This was not long after the barber and the dentist being the <laughs> doctors. So you go there to get a haircut, your beard trim, but also... A tooth removed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let me sell you back up <laughs> real <Ugh>. quick. <sighs> so in 1835, he moved from South Carolina to Alabama after two of his patients died. Those are the two babies. Yes, yeah. the two babies. Eventually, he settled in Montgomery County where he came to the attention of the men who enslaved Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy. Yeah, so that's that's when he Yeah, this is when. Started. Right, exactly. So Sims had recently discovered a new way to position surgical patients... The on the table ass up 
Yeah, yep. window light, you know, all that stuff. He believed he might be able to cure Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy within six months. And that Give happen. or take <laughs> a few years. He made arrangements with their enslavers to lease the women for the duration of their treatment so that he had complete control over their bodies, as in they were his. Yep. There's really no other way to explain that. And that's one of the reasons that his brother-in-law tried to convince him to stop because he was like, he was not an affluent doctor at this time. He was no. not not well off and it was costing him a lot of money to house and clothe and yes. you know, keep, I, keep these women. And they said that you're wasting your money on, on these I have read that he people. complained having to feed them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, which is very unbecoming. Yes. Sims. Yeah. Uh, so, which again, just kind of, that perpetuates the question of like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. It is unlikely that Anarka, Betsy, or Lucy ever had the opportunity to consent to the experimentation. Not truly were, ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the experimentation they were about to endure. Lucy was the first of the three women to undergo Sims experimental operation. The operating room was packed with doctors who wanted to watch the procedure. This is the one in which there was like 12 to 15 doctors in the room at the time, something like yeah, that. Yeah, which is, it was not uncommon at the time for no. operations to be this way. But imagine, not only is, is this a time where modesty is even more socially required than it is now, you know, modesty is not a thing that this patient was able to have. No. And then just the humiliation of having to have this ha- be done to you in front of a whole bunch of men and then having you be in, in immense pain in yeah. front of people, but in front of people who really probably don't see you as a human. Yeah. And they just want to, you know, become They're surgeons. They're just curious. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um. So the room, it was packed with doctors so they could watch the procedure. Lucy was not asked whether she was comfortable with strange men watching her operation. She was brought into the operating room naked and restrained on the table so her involuntary movements during surgery would not disrupt the procedure. Whether she said yes to this or not, I can only imagine, like, the anxiety oh, yeah. and the mental torture that you'd be it's like, wild e- to think. Even if I said yes to that and then I'm walked into a room bare ass naked, I'm up on a table, all these men are looking at me. It's wild to think that there was a time not that long ago where it was common during surgeries to just tie the patient down. Yeah. Which like, well, you yeah, it's going to give you more anxiety because when you're yeah. in pain and then you're fighting against it and yeah, I, it's, it's, it's not great. You guys, Sorry. So she was restrained so that her involuntary movements would not disrupt the procedure. Sims did not use anesthesia to numb her pain. It was not common for him to use this yet. I don't believe that he trusted anesthesia. There are a lot of encounters. At the time, it didn't even exist. Right. Yeah. And I mean, people were kind of fucking around with ether, but literally fucking around with it. I think ether started 1846 Mm -hmm. and this was 1845. So it was like... It was not even out, like, spoken about really right. yet. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, because I later reference it, but there was a rumor that the first anesthetized patient was in 1845, but it's not confirmed. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I, I later wrote about it, but yeah, you're right. And this was before that. And doctors did fear that patients could die from anesthesia. And it was also commonly believed that black women did not experience pain the same way that white women did. 
which is still a belief that some have today. It is a huge problem in the yeah. medical community it still. Is. Yeah. Lucy's surgery took about an hour and she was conscious for every minute of it. Had a terrible infection, the blood poisoning from Sims placing that cotton catheter in her bladder. Ugh. She experienced days of extreme agony and Sims was able to cure her infection, but her injury did not heal. The operation was a failure at this point in time. Yeah. I'd be so pissed. I, oh, <laughs> I, yeah. And again, I just can't imagine what these women at such a young age had already had to endure. Yeah. It's for us in this day and age, Tru- unimaginable. Truly unimaginable. Yeah. Yeah. Betsy was the next person to undergo Sims operation. Like Lucy, Betsy was naked on the operating table and not giving any anesthesia. Again, not around during that time, not prevalent in the medical world. This time, Sims used a device he invented for the bladder, and Betsy did not experience the same post-surgical infection as Lucy suffered, but Betsy's injury was not repaired, and this operation was also considered a failure. I believe this is when he introduced the metal S-shaped catheter. Gotcha. Right. So Anarka was operated on last with the same results. When the results of Anarka's surgery became widely known, the local medical community decided that Sims was a failure and stopped supporting his experiments. Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy were left in Sims' control because without a cure, they were considered useless to their enslavers. Yep. They They were were just a thing to them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So they ended up working for the Sims family in the periods between their procedures and their recovery. Sims decided to carry on with his experiments even though all of his white male assistants quit. He trained Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy to be his assistants during operations and taught them how to care for each other during their recoveries. And imagine, like, the, some of these girls are 13, 14 years old. I mean... So young. At 13, 14, I was still playing out in the woods, yeah. just... Can you imagine having those adult problems at such a young age? My God. Most women will go through their lives never knowing never. of this problem. Oh, I hope to God I go through my life without having to experience this. Yeah. And same. Yeah, they're they're children, and yeah, they're again really instrumental. He could not, he literally could not have done it without them because no, he they have. were involved, like actively involved in the process. Yeah. And he he needed help because, yeah. like we said before, the other physicians just fucking jump shit. Yeah, they wanted basically. nothing to do with it. Right. So these women separated from their families and communities with medical conditions that made them social outcasts. The women had no choice but to continue cooperating with Sims. In time, they became skilled medical practitioners in their own right. That's why I'm so curious if they later moved on to become midwives and stuff like that, because at this time, midwifery was a lot more common. I'd like to know if they Um, ended up working at the women's hospital. Yeah, I know one of them ended up going to the New York women's hospital for another issue she was having. But yeah, I'm very curious. They had knowledge, very useful knowledge, and that's skills that could be certainly used especially after the civil war you know to find work yeah i know it's fucking it's just a lot sims experimented on anarka betsy and lucy for the next five years he also brought in other enslaved women to experiment on he had no shortage of patients yep because these are women that were not receiving proper care during their pregnancies and during yep. the birth of their children. Yep. And it was blamed. Sometimes they'd be like, well, it's because of the sloth of the mother or yeah. like basically blaming them. 
they use the term ignorant. I recognize that maybe it wasn't meant as an insult. It was literally uneducated is maybe what was meant. But maybe. it was, there was a lot of blame on the mothers yeah. when it was kind of like, these women had zero education. Well, we're not treated like people. Your, your body's going to do what your body's going to do. Yeah. So I don't really know what they meant by that. Yeah. There, there wasn't a lot that I could find to like explain what that thought process yeah. was. Pointing um, fingers. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as long as they're not sticking them through your fistula, that's all that matters. Oh, yeah. Not Keep your it. fingers outside of fistulas, please. <laughs> yeah, yours and everyone else's. Yeah. Sims bought one patient because her case was unique and her enslaver was not willing to risk his investment on experimental surgeries. His investment. Yeah. So Sims practiced his procedure on a total of 12 women, but only Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy were named in his published reports. In the summer of 1849, Sims performed Anarka's 30th operation. He used all of the new tools and techniques he had developed over the last four years. This time, Anarka's injury finally healed and she made a full recovery. I can't imagine the fucking relief when he's like, it worked. Thank you. I mean, they have, these women have to have post-traumatic stress disorder oh, for sure. I just I can't imagine a world in which they wouldn't can you imagine like after the 30th time I would be in disbelief I wouldn't even believe that it took and that it worked yeah I'd just be the like 30 no. times in four years but that's four more years of her enduring all of the things that they were saying the urine the fecal matter the gas and as a child you know she started at 13 so she was 17 by the time she was was cured those are really formative years that is so important yeah like a literal child you're going through like puberty and stuff like i mean she'd already gone through it because she had had a baby but um like going through very important physical changes mental changes and, and also, changes. I mean, even when you're a, when you're a child, time seems longer because you have less to measure it against. So these four years were also four longer years than they'd God, be for four so, years of uh, for us. That's so true. It's fucking awful. Yeah, I imagine so much of her life would be formed around this experience because it really was her growth into an adult was her experiencing this torture for four years. Oh, absolutely. Shortly after perfecting his technique, Sims closed his hospital and moved north. Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy all returned to their enslavers after five years of absence and experimentation. Yeah. Shit. Shit, I read this article and I must have skimmed over that somehow. (laughs) So they went back. Yeah. 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 Which makes sense. Yeah. But part of me is like... No, I... Yeah, it's... uh, I don't know. I just want more... For everyone, but for I just want to—I want to know more. He fixed their property and returned it to them. It's like mending a fucking shoe, is what yeah. it sounds like, and that's not at all <laughs> what it was. But now they were sent back to work. Obviously, to, I guess that was into the new deal. trauma. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and I don't know if I mean—I have to imagine that they were. I would hope able to alleviate some of the suffering um in in midwifery a little bit with other i mean obviously they had no experience with like actual pregnancy i mean aside from their own pregnancies but like no medical knowledge but maybe even just recognizing what things are supposed to look like Mm -hmm. would be helpful and like helping i suppose it would and they probably had some idea of keeping sepsis away kind of they had some knowledge with that so hopefully they were able to alleviate some suffering 
with the other enslaved yeah. people when they returned. That's rough. Yeah. Even just being able to recognize the condition in another person. In 1852, Sims published an article that outlined his new procedure, the vasicovaginal fistula repair. To appeal to a wider audience, he never mentioned that the women he operated on were enslaved. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And also, I did read that later depictions of his surgeries, because there's like a lot of drawings, he actually depicted white women, not black women. I don't understand why... They would need to make that difference at that time because I feel like people would be happier that he experimented on quote unquote. Honestly, I could imagine because it seemed like a lot of white women, regardless of rank in society, despised the thought of the surgery and didn't want to deal with the pain, whatever. I don't know. Couldn't deal with the pain. I think yeah. he was trying to appeal to white women to show, to show them. Oh, look. other white. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's yeah. like a like a subconscious thing. Oh, th- this is a white woman in this depiction. Clearly, yeah, that is being so operated on. She could tolerate it. So can I? He's, Maybe even yeah. He's done this before on someone like me. Even yeah. though it's all the fucking same. By the way, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter. It's all yeah. the same. Um, but you know, like oh, appeal to the white women. Maybe. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So he never mentioned that these women were enslaved, the 12 women that he worked on. He also never mentioned that the enslaved women became skilled medical practitioners. In the illustrations that accompanied his article, he is shown operating on white women with yep. the help of white nurses. The patient is also covered, a token of respect that Anarka Betsy and Lucy arguably may not have actually received. Yeah. And I could see that happening in an amphitheater auditorium situation mm-hmm. with other providers so that they could watch. Maybe even also with each other. Yeah. They are basically forced family. Yeah. You know, yeah, I could I, see that I have happening. to imagine they grew very close, which would make it even tougher yeah. if they did not belong to the same yeah. enslaver. Then they get separated and they've been together for four or five years. That must have been fucking hard too. I don't yeah. I don't know. Again, I hope that we get to a point in history where we can find some way to learn these stories. I wanna know what happened to them. I wanna know. I know. I think I'm gonna do a deeper dive and I've been trying so hard over the past couple of weeks to find more about yeah, them. Yeah, there's there's so little. There's so little. Some of them they don't even know like when they died, like they completely disappear from history. And I hope that's for a good reason. I hope that means that they got to live. I hope they got to realize freedom at I, some point. I hope that they, yeah, I hope that they all survived to see freedom and that freedom was fair to them because a lot of enslaved people were free and then immediately shunned from the town that they had lived in or tortured or murdered or whatever i hope i hope that they saw true real freedom where they could realize their lives and work in the medical profession to whatever extent that not only a woman but a black woman in that time would have been allowed to but like as midwives or i don't know i just i I guess since we don't know we can hope for the best (sighs) i'll keep looking just in case there's got to be something out there but sim's work and article revolutionized surgical treatments for women and earned him the nickname the father of modern gynecology but it must be acknowledged that these advancements were made through the exploitation of enslaved women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Some historians have argued that Sims patients became enthusiastic participants in his experiments, but it is important to remember that they had no choice. Again, you are an enslaved black woman. Yeah. You can't consent to anything. It is your slave you, owner. You really can't say like, it makes sense that these women would want to be cured. And so logically we can say maybe 
that they were enthusiastic, but you don't know. And maybe even they, they acted enthusiastically because that was expected of them. You know, they thought that they had to do what was told. They were told to do regardless of whether they wanted to do it or not. Right. So there is no such thing as enthusiastic consent in a situation where someone is a slave. You cannot give no. enthusiastic consent. And to be honest, a 13-year-old can't give it either. But No, absolutely not. And also consent can change. Yeah. Yeah. And you that's another thing. You can no. give it and then say never mind. And, and I'm certain, I have to imagine at some point within the five years of the you know, six to 12 women that he experimented on that at least one of them at some point withdrew consent if they had even given it. And I have to imagine that it didn't matter. But it's important to remember that they had no choice. Anarka, Betsy, Lucy, and all of the other unnamed patients of James, Mary, and Sims deserve to be remembered as the mothers of modern gynecology because without their labor and pain, Sims' critical achievement would not have been possible. Yeah. Yeah. Where's their fucking statue? They have one. They do? Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't know where it is, but there is a statue. Is it in Alabama? Or No, I think it's in New York. Of I'm course it sure wouldn't be in Alabama. If I'm remembering Erase that. Yeah. <laughs> Alabama, so- the epicenter of <laughs> racial equality. If you're in Alabama, I'm sorry, but I'm not that sorry. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry for you, but you know. I want to say it was in New York. It is in Montgomery, Alabama. Get we, the fuck out. I will eat my shoe on that one. Stand corrected. Leave it in. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so really? yeah, it is. It is. Um, wow. Is it? It's a beautiful picture too. Oh. We'll we'll post this with the episode. Oh my god, that's a, fucking rad. It is guys. a very very cool statue. It's definitely modern. Yes, it's not like it, mo- like old statues that are just a bronze cast of someone. It's it's very modern arty, but it's. It is wow. it is a very beautiful oh, statue. Yeah. Way cooler than his. Oh, way cooler than his. <laughs> yes. I, I, I highly recommend you you look up this picture of the monument Mothers of Gynecology. It just and, looks so powerful. Wait. It got erected last year. Explains why it looks so <laughs> modern. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And I think it's great. It makes me really happy that they are getting the fucking recognition that is long overdue yeah but that does make me sad oh this is so cool though um the artist michelle browder she made the statues out of discarded metal objects she asked for contributions from the public to symbolize how black women have been treated and to demonstrate the beauty in the broken and discarded that's fucking cool that's that's very cool wow on that slightly lighter note we will leave off with the the first steps in sims fame as the quote-unquote father of gynecology and then the willing or unwilling enslaved mothers of modern gynecology without whom we wouldn't have had the knowledge that we have now at least it would not have happened when it happened because white women as it said there were white women who had this disease and it was really terrible and they wanted it cured and they came to him for cure and they could not handle it right yeah god damn we will return next episode with the remainder of Sim's life and the other things that he did that brought him the fame that he has now. And maybe by then we will have succeeded in trying to find more information on these on these women. There's very little. Um, there's a very tiny baby Wikipedia page on Anarka. Yeah. But very little is known. Yeah. So... so- hasn't been a very funny episode no that's why Um, i'm not laughing and joking a lot sorry i hope you learned something and i hope you stay dirty
Stay dirty.